Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. joined by my sister Kay. We're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the second season of Legends of Tomorrow. We're not only going to spoil the second season of it and the first season of it, but probably also the previous seasons of Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, and the current seasons, which are not quite done, of Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl, because there was a crossover between them. Yeah. This was a 17-episode season, so a bit shorter than uh, the other shows are. It's funny, as I was thinking about this season, I had a mixed feeling of a lot happened and not a lot happened. Well, and we watched the finale of this, what, about a week ago now? And it took us a little bit to realize, oh, wait, that that was the finale. Well, and part of that is because it aired in early April. Well, in in fairness, it had a definite sense of season finaliness to it, with they've wrapped up the Legion of Doom storyline and they're kicking off. They, they kind of ended on a cliffhanger like they did the previous season. Yeah. So in that sense, it felt like a sense of closure. But this was a, a very interesting season because at the end of the first season, they had teased the Justice Society with Our Man. Mm-hmm. They picked up at a somewhat different place than they left off with um, somebody rushing into Oliver Queen's office saying, the legends are in trouble, you've got to help them. Um, and this turns out to be uh, Nate. Um, I'm blanking on his last name. You ask trick questions when I'm not prepared. Sorry. No. I, I should know the character's name. I've read him in the comics for quite some time. Um, anyways, a historian who thinks that the uh, the legends blew up in New York Harbor 40 years back. Nate Haywood. Nate Haywood. Thank you. And he and Oliver. Uh, Basically, go go find the Wave Rider. They find um, Heat Wave, I think, was the one guy left in it. At that point, the, the legends have been scattered throughout time. And we get a little bit of a recap of how that happened. And then they pick up from where the previous season had left off. They go you know, where they shouldn't, etc., yada, yada. Um, and at this point, we've already uh, had the two Hawks at the end of last season leave. Mm-hmm. So we've got some vacancies. They've killed off Captain Cold. Uh, again, spoilers. Um, and they scatter the, the legends throughout time. We get most of them back. We don't get Rip Hunter. He's gone for most of the season. Yeah. At least two-thirds, I'd say. Uh, and then the arc this time is around uh, uh, the killing of, um, was it Our Man? I think it was Our Man in, uh, in the 40s with the JSA. Mm-hmm. So we get various Justice Society members. Uh, Our Man. Um, Commander Steel, which is Hank's grandfather. No, Nate's grandfather. Nate, sorry. That's okay. It, Hank is the grandfather. Yeah, there sorry. you go. It's, yeah. Too many names. Um, yes. We get Obsidian, who mm-hmm. we later see in the 80s as an mm-hmm. old man. Mm-hmm. We get Dr. Midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get um, Stargirl, which I found interesting because she was a member of the JSA at the, the turn of this recent century in the comics. It was a modern one who was uh, basically a second, third generation kind of a character. Hmm. Um, so they put her back in the day. And we also get a, uh, a Vixen character, 
And I say a Vixen character because we had already had Vixen in Arrow. They were going to use this, I think, the same actress, uh, maybe as a modern day version, the modern day version, but that didn't work out. So they said, okay, let's go for the the grandmother of. Interesting. So Vixen ends up joining the team. Nate winds up later getting superpowers and becoming Steel. We still have Adam, Heatwave, Canary, uh, the two halves of Firestorm, and am I forgetting somebody? Mick. And uh, well, Heatwave. Oh, sorry. Um, Mick. Okay. Heatwave, Firestorm, Adam. Because then we added Steel and Vixen, so that's most of them. Okay, we may yeah. be forgetting somebody. If so, they're apparently very unimportant. And again, Rip was absent throughout most of it, which made for an interesting arc because at first there's the who leads the team. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Lance Canary kind of takes the lead, does a pretty good job with it. And then when Rip comes back, how does that play out? Mm-hmm. So it had a bit of a different dynamic. We discover early on that the person who killed our man was uh, Eobard Thawne. Um, and we wind up getting kind of what they refer to as the Legion of Doom, which is Thawne, uh, who was first season villain of The Flash. Malcolm Merlin, who was... Perpetual first... character of Arrow. <laughs> well, perpetual villain of Arrow. First, yeah. second, third season, maybe fourth season two, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then we had... Um, uh, don't do that to me. I'm blanking on his name. From, uh, from Arrow, Neil McDonough's... Uh, Damien Dark. Damien Dark, thank you. I wouldn't say Brother Blood, and I knew that was wrong. Damien Dark, uh, from fourth season of Arrow? That sounds right, because we're in fifth, and he was just last season. So them kind of grouping together, they wind up with another member or two of the Legion of Doom later on. And the Legion of Doom is just kind of the nickname that Nate gives the team of villains or whatnot. And it's funny, because when we... The whole thing is um, Eobard is in a bad state because of what's happened in Flash if he no longer exists. He's trying to put right what once went wrong. Well, getting killed off and never existing goes goes pretty bad for your day. And if he stays in one time spot too long, the, the timeline starts to catch up and go kill him. So he's running around and can only stay. He's got to do hit and run tactics, essentially, hence yeah. needing the other two. Um, but they're going after the Spear of Destiny to, to fix all of that. Mm. They're um, going to rewrite reality. Yes. Well, let's start early in the season. One of the things they did that I had mixed feelings about was uh, ongoing subplots, I guess you would say, with the what makes a hero. Does a hero need his costume? They went through a big arc with that with the Adam of he's losing his costume. What's his purpose on the team? Is he a hero or not? Does he need powers? Nate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before he could steal up, was he was he a viable member of the team? Was he worthy of being on the team? Did getting the powers to steal up make him a hero where he hadn't been one before? I think they had to get through all of that in the first two-thirds or so of the season. Because then when Legion of Doom gets the spear and rewrites history and none of them have powers, they have the wherewithal to believe they can still be heroes. Interesting. So I thought that was all, in hindsight, set up for that. Okay. Uh, I thought they told some interesting stories in Feudal Japan with the other armor and stuff with the Atom and stuff like that. So uh, there were a few times I thought they were hitting the drumbeat a little too hard, particularly with the Atom losing his suit, because he lost the suit. An episode or two later was the crossover between Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, and Legends. 
And yes, we will be talking about that and therefore spoiling current season aspects of the other show. It's like, boom, he's got a new suit because they were able to, to yeah. you know, rebuild it through the replicator sort of a thing and the wave rider. Plus, they'd also gotten the uh, the dwarf star material, I guess, mm-hmm. from um, the Wild West era. Because that was when Jonah Hex showed back up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they pulled in a couple of interesting characters from different time periods. I still don't feel we've really explored the DC timeline or multiverse as much as I think we could in this show. Whether it's as much as we should or not, I don't know. Uh, and again, that may rectify next season. Um, I thought the JSA was tangential to the series uh, season. I thought that they were using the JSA to drive home a point that the legends were too chaotic, were not mission-oriented enough. Um, they were unprofessional, essentially. They yes. weren't heroes. Yes. And it was a, we cannot make that point unless we show the other side of the coin. There's a forming, storming, norming, performing model or whatever for teams where it takes a little while for them to gel to kind of work out and get to where they can really kind of kick on all cylinders. And I would say this season was very much the uh, the team of legends kind of uh, reorganizing after the, the change up in the membership or whatever and getting back onto an even keel and becoming a, a functional team. But we still don't trust everyone equally. I think by the end of the season, Mick has kind of earned his place on the team. I think Mick was surprised about two episodes before the end of the season to realize he did not have the same level of trust from the others that he had given them. I don't think he was surprised. I think he was disappointed. Yeah, that that's probably a fair way to phrase it. But given he had become Kronos and stuff like that, there was reason for them to, to not trust. But I think he felt he'd worked to earn their trust. He'd risked his life to save uh, the Atom back in first season. When, when the Atom said that he too didn't trust Mick, that, yeah. yeah, Mick wasn't around for that comment, but I agree. Uh, he should have been uh, upset by that. Yeah. You know, when Stein didn't stand up for him about uh, blabbing to cold with the, I told him it was a hallucination. The whole Stein-Mick uh, relationship there is a little weird. Because Stein is very much terrified of Mick and shouldn't be. Yeah. They they need to work on that relationship next season. Yeah. I think Jax, as a character, has probably done the best over the seasons. He grew a lot. I would say Sarah Lance, as leader, mm-hmm. grew a lot. I think that that's the one aspect of her that's grown, though, if that makes sense. I think the rest of her character has remained fairly consistent. I, I would say her need for revenge... Is the other character growth. And She's gotten over that. Yeah. Well, I I wonder if she's gotten over it or she's found sort of a, a new outlet. I think when she had the spear at the end and was able to kind of talk with her sister and her sister was okay with put reality back the way it was even though I die. Well, I think that conversation with herself was those words of wisdom we so often hear of everything that has happened before today made you what you are today. So if you accept who you are today, then you accept everything that happened before today. Mm-hmm. And that was her accepting herself. So did you take the conversation uh, the two Lance sisters had as just being Sarah or that that was actually... 
undecided. Because I thought... I thought it could go either way. I, I thought it was actually her, her, her talking to her sister. I thought it was almost her and Destiny. And the spear. Okay. Equally viable reading of the thing. And her coming to grips with, I've always accepted who I am. I've always accepted how the cards fell. And if I accept who I am, then I have to accept what made me who I am. Mm -hmm. Pulling in the Spear of Destiny was an interesting choice because, particularly with the JSA characters in the World War II, that was the uh, MacGuffin, if you will, that they used to explain why the JSA didn't just go to Europe and, and win the war. The Spear of Destiny was a, a mystical influence that kind of prevented them from doing that. Hmm. Because if they went over there, because it was in um, the, I forget if it was Hitler's control or whatever, you know, the bad guys over there, uh, which branch of them had it, but they could be corrupted, taken over, and, and accidentally switch sides. So that's why you could send some people over to Europe, but not yeah. the big guns. Interesting. But to see the JSA, to not get Dr. Fate, to have just taken the two Hawks, uh, Hawkman, Hawkwoman, and not have them around was kind of ironic. Um and for almost half the characters, most of the characters we see in the JSA, to not be card-carrying World War II-era JSA members. Um, well, to me, it is a big deal. Because you take a young girl, as, as Stargirl or whatever, that doesn't fit World War II, mm. it does fit the 80s, 90s, 2000s, or whatever. To take uh, Obsidian, who was not a member of the JSA until again, like the last 10 years or something, and is the daughter of the, or not daughter, the uh, son of the uh, the Golden Age Green Lantern, who's a member of Infinity Inc. and stuff. Again, that's, both of those two characters are second generation members. And then to have Vixen, who was never any version a member of the JSA. Mm. It's like, okay, you want to go that way? It's, it's Particularly when you've got a roster of characters where there are so many others you could have picked. They could have, I mean, okay, you can't do Jay Garrick Flash because he's in use over in The Flash. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, can't do Superman, Batman, Wonder they're, they're off the table fine. There are other JSAers that stuck through the, the Crisis on Infinite Earths period. There's Sandman, there's uh, Spectre, there's Dr. Fate, there is uh, the, the Golden Age Adam, um, which is just a guy in a costume. Uh, there's Wildcat, again, they've used him on Arrow to a degree. Um, but he could have been the Ted Grant that was the son of, or grandson of, the Ted Grant of World War II kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they could have gone in those routes. I'm trying to remember which other JSAers would have been uh, easy picks or whatever. So to, to use the team name but only use, well, even uh, Commander Steel was a member of All-Star Squadron, not the JSA. So Our Man was the only JSA member I think they, they legitimately used. Hmm. Dr. Midnight is the other one I take. Mm. But even the version they used was the later version of the black man versus, again, the white guy that would have been used in World War II. Yeah, that was a very diverse team for the 40s. It was an inappropriately diverse team. So I'm hoping with third season we start to get into some other areas. Switching up the team members, getting rid of Rip, which felt a little awkward. It all made sense. It made for a, a better team dynamic. I keep feeling like they don't know how to write Rip. So it felt like they took him out of play so that they could rework the character. They brought him in thinking, okay, now we're going to try this. Now we're going to do this. We're going to change the damage to the character. Because season one, he yeah. was all about his family. Yeah. And we're going to, 
you know, tweak and mess with the character in different ways. And then at the end of the season, it seemed like a, yeah, we're not sure that worked either. So we're going to take him out play again. What I would do for third season with Rip is I would not have him be a regular. I would have him show up a time or two, clean shaven and younger than the version they've met. Mm. And maybe even have him have his little time sphere thing that we saw earlier in the Flash. Mm. So at some point when he's a time agent before he steals the Wave Rider. Yeah. And actually have him go after them as aberrations or or whatever. There's some fun stuff you could do there, Um, particularly depending how you wanted to play the Gideon connection. Mm. But I feel he's out of place with the team now. He's not needed. Um, I don't know who I would bring in as new characters for the team, but I think there is room maybe for one or two more. Well, I was glad they brought Nate in. Yeah, he was a good addition. I mean, they needed a historian for what Mm -hmm. they were doing. Um, With the Vixen character, I wish they'd done, for me, a better job of why she channels which animal when she channels it and how she connects to it. They could have sold her powers, I think, a little bit better both here and in the Arrow episode she was in. Um, There was actually something in a very recent issue of Justice League of America that she's a member of where the animal she is channeling, um, even in that comic, they could have explained a bit more explicitly, but the one she picked was was very apropos to the situation she was in and a very clever, un- not uh, uh, out of the box kind of it wouldn't when isn't one you would have said well of course you'd go with that yeah exactly but the minute you see it's oh yeah that was that was the right choice well and I loved when they had to go back to basically prehistoric times and they run into the dinosaur that uh, is mad at, at uh, Ray yeah at Ray and she ends up going out and talking the dinosaur down yeah that was an adorable scene. Well, and that played up one of the other themes going to the conversation that Ray and Nate were having at that time, uh, that they were playing up over the course of not just what's a hero, but what's an anomaly. Yes. Because at one point, Stein changes time and winds up with a daughter. Yeah. And at that conversation, uh, when Vixen's talking down the dinosaur, uh, Ray is telling Nate, you know, she's got a a future. We know what her future is. We can't change that future because it puts so much else at risk. Yeah. So, where they go with that, don't know. Um, Well, and, I mean, what they've told us about that future is we know she's a grandmother, we know her village is destroyed, and so on. We don't know who her husband is. There's nothing to say that Nate couldn't be part of that future, exactly. And that's why I was getting frustrated with some of those conversations. Yeah. I thought having the Legion of Doom... um, both the name and the specific characters as uh, the villains was interesting because it gave them some really good actors to play with. It did, but it took me a long time to figure out how the heck did Malcolm Merlin end up in this? Yeah, it took a little too long for them to to explain the recruitment stuff. Um, Yeah, I was baffled. Now, totally unrelated, but they do a little um, dialogue intro to each episode. The voiceover uh, at the beginning, when they would go to a couple of different characters, specifically when they went to Mick. That was my favorite. Um, it was kind of an in-character, it's like, why do I even have to tell you this anyways, kind of a... Yes. Why are you people idiots? Haven't you caught on by now? I'm wondering how much of that was scripted and how much of them was them just horsing around at a voiceover session. Oh, 
it was great. Um, it, it added a certain um, charm and stuff to those episodes, certain character aspect. Yeah. One of the things I do want to see them do, maybe not necessarily next season, but, but later on, and possibly even next, is have some of the previous people, like the Hawks or whatever, guest. If we reach a point where this is still on the air, but Arrow has gone off the air, what about Oliver Queen slash Arrow guesting or recurring into the team? Uh, I don't know that I have him recurring to the team, but I would like to see at some point, depending what the last show of all of this is, them do kind of a big blowout episode. And it'd be hard to pull off, but pull in all of the heroes they've had in this universe. Um, everything from Green Arrow, Red Arrow, the, mm. the Thea Queen Arrow... Mm -hmm. uh, the various canaries, uh, wild dog, Mr. Terrific, uh, Ragman, uh, Spartan, you know, uh, Flash, Kid Flash, Jesse Quick, um, Firestorm, uh, Martian Manhunter, Supergirl from, granted, it's the other universe, but Guardian, I mean, Vibe, um, and Killer Frost, Killer Frost, uh, the various Hawks, uh, the, the Jay Garrick flash, and just really end on a note of this is the 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 Legion or the Justice League of Heroes or whatever you want to call it, of, of mm -hmm. just, we've built a pretty big, big universe here. No. You know all of these characters. I mean, if I were at the CW, I would have uh, a page per each hero with a good kind of hero shot of them. Such that you could kind of do what they did with the JSA covers at one point, where Alex Ross would do a really good shot of Hawkman or the Flash or whatever. And then you could basically line them all up and there's mm. boom, here's the team. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you had a a set of, of you know, here's Vibe, here's Firestorm, here's whoever, uh, against uh, just a black background where really there's not even a whole lot of Photoshop work you need to do to, to assemble your team. Yeah. And just, again, look at the the world they've built here. Yeah. Well, and to that comment, the the reality they built with the Spear of Destiny, part of what intrigued me was Mick was holding on to the spear, and yet no part of that reality seemed to be built with his wishes in mind. I wonder if he was one of the things that kept the other heroes around. Mm, okay. Because Mick kind of turning and joining the Legion of Doom made sense with what how they brought back Captain Cold for a little bit. Um, and Mick not really enjoying the new world mm -hmm. uh, made sense. Yes. I mean, to me, that was all kind of character moment for him, mm -hmm. turning point. Mm -hmm. So whether the... But I think that was when he realized he was even more disappointed in how little the team had trusted him. Because he had changed even more than he knew. Yeah. You know, and the fact that he gave the spear to Vixen, because she was the only one who hadn't betrayed him at that point. Mm-hmm. So he trusted her to create a new reality. I think the direction they go with that character next season is going to be interesting to, to see. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of ways they could go as to where they should go, I'm not sure. But he has evolved the most, and I'd like to see him... Maybe mellow out a little bit, but be better integrated into the team. Well, with Cold's death, he was able to step out of that shadow and evolve more. 
Well, and the interaction between him and Ray over the course of the season. Yeah. Here's the cold gun, do this, be your own man, whatever. Well, and the advice he was giving Stein about Jax and how to deal with yes. the partner. I would like to see them build on that to change the dynamic between uh, Stein and, uh, and, and Mick. Mm-hmm. Because Mick has more of that kind of experience, can, can kind of empathize a bit with where Jax is at, and can really help Stein grow. Mm-hmm. And if they can, can kind of bond on that level, and you've got with Stein somebody who's just incredibly smart, and yeah, Mick's interested in like beer or something, fine. Talk about the makeup of beer. Yeah. You know? Well, have you tried this? It should do this. You might like that better kind of, oh, well, you know, don't understand the gobbledygook, but have some kind of connection point. Yeah. Um, because as humorous as it may be for Stein to do the cowering, oh, I'm mm. scared of him, it gets a little old. It does. Yeah. Um, I would like to see the Legion of Superheroes kind of pulled in. Uh, 30th century characters were getting the Legion flight ring teased over in Supergirl and such. Mm. Uh, to me, I might save that for a uh, another crossover sort of a thing. Well, towards the end of the season, and I guess it was right before the finale, that time frame, uh, we have characters with a ship that time travels who seemed to forget they could time travel. They need to get the vial of oh, blood. Right. Well, no, they talked about going and getting the vial of, of Christ's blood from around the time Christ died, but uh, Rip was basically saying, no, you can't do that. They know where it's buried. And they know it's been there for like a hundred years. So go back 50. So why is there only one day they can go unbury it? Yeah, having to go unbury something in the middle of an active war zone. It's like, you know what? You could roll back the clock a little bit on this. And then when you realize that going to unbury it didn't go right, and you're willing to risk going a second time to unbury it, why do you have to go back and interact with yourself? the exact day, yeah. There are some some moments, well, it goes back to what Stephen Amell had said at one point of bad decisions make for good television, good decisions make for bad television. I tell you, that may be the best thing Stephen Amell ever said in a panel, because he's right. Well, I, I'm sure he was very happy with himself, as he should have been when he finally, when he came up with that. Yeah. Because that gets him out of so many questions at a, at a panel. Well, you know- Why did so-and-so do this? I will. I'll read reviews of books, TV, you name it, and they will say, this was horrible. This character did something I never would have done. You're not that character. Well, but the other question is, did it up the drama? Did it up the conflict? Did it make the story more interesting? To me, the better question is, is that the decision that character would have made at the time? And that's also a very viable question. But simply saying, I would not have made that decision in that moment, or looking back on it, I would not have made that decision Those in that moment. Those are the wrong questions. But to me, it's one it's thing not enough. if the decision was made to up the drama, but felt wrong for the character, that's bad. True, true. But if it's a viable decision for the ca- character and will up the drama... Versus there's another viable decision for the character, and it'll bring the story to a crashing end 30 minutes before the episode needs to end. How many times have we been at the beginning of a movie or TV show where one of us jokingly says, if they just did this, end of story? Yes, exactly, exactly. And these are reviews that say they should have just done this. To me, if you want an example of that, watch any episode of Scorpion. (laughs) Because the formula is accept the mission, 
have something go wrong, have something more absurd go wrong, have something even more crazy go wrong, have something fundamentally implausible go completely wrong, all of which are pretty obvious the minute they set up any of these things. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's bad writing sometimes, but there were a few times with Legends where, yeah, you got a time machine, use it, that they didn't, but overall, I didn't think it was a, like, a fundamentally flawed season, because I thought, thought the first season, no, the whole but- Let's Go After Vandal Savage, that I thought had some fundamental problems. I'll agree with that. There were a few times where I kind of wished they'd stop hitting me over the head. George Lucas. Uh, George R. R. Martin, a few things like that. They, they are, was it Markin or Tolkien? Uh, Tolkien. Tolkien, that's what it was. Anyways, there were a few people, it's like, yeah, that was kind of convenient. You know, well, the, the George Lucas thing, it was just, you know, he saw Malcolm Merlin missing the hand. He, they got thrown into a garbage pit. I mean, it was just too many. It's kind of a, we're going to be the genesis of Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I'm sure they thought they were being clever or whatever. The part that get me was with that is if they had done those sorts of things, not about Star Wars, but about more Easter egg-ish stuff of the DC Universe. Mm. Yes. Imagine if, and it's something that would be hard to really get across to a non-comic fan, but there was a character called um, Silverblade, and he might not even be a legit DC Universe character. But it was a 12-issue series where you basically have an aging actor who, and I forget how he gets the powers, but can take on any of the attributes, skills, or look of any of the characters he's played mm. over the decades he's been an actor. Oh, how interesting. And this would have been maybe around the 80s, so you would have gone back to 40s era type stuff. Mm-hmm. So he'd done the monster movies, he'd done the spy movies, he'd the done the fence, the swashbuckler, exactly. Yeah. Um, if you had had that sort of shtick going on mm-hmm. um and again i don't know i think he's owned by dc i'm not positive but the bottom line is dc's got a insanely huge library that they could just be kind of sprinkling in a bit more here mm-hmm. uh, part of what has me interested with the powerless sitcom is they seem to be touching on a lot of different franchises of heroes and i'm wondering if what that implies about what these shows on the CW could be pulling in. Mm. Um, yeah. Could they be pulling in aspects of, of more Batman or Superman? Well, obviously Superman with Supergirl type stuff. But where, where are the lines drawn of what they do and don't have access to? Mm-hmm. Because they, they're telling some fun stuff here. I'd like to see a little bit more. Kind of for me, the sweet spot of, of DC is maybe the 80s era Justice League and a few things like that. So can we pull in, you know, can we salvage Red Tornado from the Supergirl universe or have a new, you know, a, a Arrowverse version of it? Mm-hmm. Um, I loved a few of the Easter eggs they did toss in, like in the crossover when they're in the, I guess it was the Star City Star Labs, was it? Where they had everybody meeting up and it was the Hall of Justice? Oh, yes. I think that was just a short shot, uh, you know, establishing shot or whatever of a, a matte painting kind of a deal. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then when we get to the, the Spear of Destiny reverse, you know, re- rewritten world, the Star Labs in uh, um, uh, Central City or whatever looks like the Legion of Doom from the cartoons. It's like, these are nice little Easter eggs. Yeah. I thought those were fun. And there's such a, again, a rich tapestry of DC. That for them to to touch on 
frankly, so little of it. Mm. This is the kind of show where you could be testing the waters for various characters. I mean, have Adam Strange, who gets hit by the Zeta Beam and goes off to an alien world, much like that Flash Gordon show of mm. five, ten years ago. Uh, test the waters on that. How does that work? Yeah. You know? You've got uh, the the legends in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Boom, half the team gets hit by the Zeta Beam as he's trying to catch it. He misses it because of them. And then he helps the uh, rest of the team go find them over on, on RAN or whatever. You know? Maybe that could be the test bed for uh, an Adam Strange series. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of ways they could go. I thought this season, by and large, went well. The pacing, um, again, I wasn't expecting a 17-episode season. That's Neither was I. Well, and... I mean, not to spoil the absolute end, but at the absolute end, I'm sitting here going, okay, we've got major architecture changes. They're awesome, but I'd like to understand. We've got other changes that make absolutely no sense. Well, time is broken. I took it as there are futuristic buildings in a modern cityscape with prehistoric animals roaming wild. But they showed us a date of 2017 in the That's my point. Yeah. Modern Star City is kind of a mishmash of time. Zero Hour was a comic series in which they had that sort of a thing happening. Time was essentially broken, and you could walk down the block and pass through the 40s, the 90s, and the 20s. Interesting. Okay. So that's that's how I took that. Okay. But see, that's where you're having the comic book knowledge helps. Well, and it's funny because uh, the crossover they did between Flash, Arrow, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl was Invasion, which was a crossover series they did back in, I'm going to say the 90s, but I could be off on that. Might be the late 80s, uh, with the Dominators coming to Earth, doing a bunch of stuff. And they followed the conceptual aspect of it, but glossed over most of the details to make it fit this world in a simplified story. Well, and that one had a, we have to make some of the characters not trust other characters, so that we can arbitrarily divide our people in half, so that half can go here and get sabotaged, and the other half cannot be there, so they can swoop in to rescue. Well, and have one not get trusted, so they're out of picture for a while because we don't have her, uh, the Supergirl actress, for enough time or whatever. Or we need to to. There are certain aspects of relationships going in and relationships coming out had to go through certain changes. Yeah. Some of those were a little more forced than others. Yeah. Still, it was a fun crossover, and I mm. loved the interaction of all of the characters. I do want to see uh, them pull in, as they did with the Flash Supergirl crossover, a few more of the characters. Well, and they had to tell uh, Barry Allen about Cold. Mm-hmm. Which was just kind of a reminder of they hadn't been home in a while. Yeah. Well, and that's where having the whole team coming from the same point in time, for the most part, uh, Vixen being the exception, mm-hmm. it would have been interesting for them. Imagine if they had almost an empty chair in the ship that on a mission-to-mission basis, we need a specialist. Yeah. You know, we need, uh, I'm trying to think what would be something they need that they don't already have or whatever. Well, at one point, they had to bring Stein's uh, daughter, the Aberration, on board to make an interface between an ancient alien compassy artifact and Gideon. If they needed a robotics expert, fine. Let's go to this point in time. Let's get Doc Magnus, who created the Metal Men. Yeah. Well, maybe you get him before he does the Metal Men. Maybe you meet the Metal Men. What would be fascinating to me if they did next season, 
because of what happened this season is if they went to a point in the future after Rip dropped off, I guess it's uh, Dr. Midnight who had mm-hmm. his piece of the Spear of Destiny, but before he's been killed for it to get him to help them with something. So they know how he's going to die, it, he's going to be betrayed, etc., and can't tell him, but they need to work with him. It puts the characters through an interesting quandary. Yeah, yeah. If I were to do that, I would be less likely to do it with him, more likely to do it with Ronnie Raymond. Yeah, Ronnie be a good call. You know, there are a couple of times where, at some point, we need to see these guys bounce through the backstory and timeline of Flash and Arrow and stuff like that. I just, I don't know how well that would work. We've already had time changes happen on the timeline. Well, and the interesting thing is Nick talked to his father, who was a young boy. And so far, we haven't seen any consequences or changes because of that. Yeah. I mean, we saw both Nick and Ray lose their hero-ness because of interacting with George Lucas. There comes a point, though, where the show is more concerned about the silly than the scientific. Um, I would go with the uh, the scene, the episode that had Nate's father uh, in the whole astronaut program or whatnot. And in Mission Control, you've got Stein doing uh, the Deo. <laughs> that was priceless. Because they need to stall for time and he's breaking out in song. They needed a distraction. And you have to admit, having the fake British... NASA type scientist dude suddenly break out in Deo is distracting. Well, because everybody's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and as a viewer, I was like, what the hell is this? Exactly. Good distraction. There's a time, though, where the whimsicalness of the show is just a little higher than I'd like it. Um, I thought it was hilarious that the other character present was Mick. And Mick was looking at him like, say what? He's like, did this egghead just crack? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they they do some fun stuff. I really enjoyed near the end. We've got Rip back. Uh, we're, we're kind of going into his mindscape or whatever. And in that world, uh, we see Gideon the, in human form. The only person he still trusts. And... That was a very interesting personification of the character. Well, and I loved the reason he could still trust Gideon. Nobody who trapped him in there ever conceived of warping Gideon. Yeah, changing the the AI, just why bother? It never occurred to them that in his mind, he interacts with Gideon. It makes me question the relationship Gideon has with both Rip and... Because it was a mental link. Yeah. The real Gideon in the ship AI knew what had happened in his mind. Yeah. So how does that work? Is that because he was a time master? What's going on? Yeah. How is this Gideon related to the one that was in the time vault over in the Flash? What's going on with that message 40 years from the future Flash? Um, they've, They've got a lot of open plot points. I don't really love ending on a cliffhanger, not cliffhanger, but on a reveal that mandates what the first episode's kind of got to deal with. Um, I do want to see them change up the team dynamic a little bit, but I don't know exactly how. And I'd like to see them explore a little bit more of, of the DC universe. Well, at this point, we have two empty chairs. Yeah. So if we went with your one chair reserved for a come and go specialist, what's one character you think would add well to the mix? Well, what do we think they're lacking that they need? 
In other words, if the team were were to recruit, what would they be recruiting for? Right now, we're heavy on brawn and brain. Does that make sense to define it that way? Well, we've got some muscle in terms of steel, firestorm, and black canary. You could argue uh, uh, vixen too. I guess flash. So you've got some firepower. I would almost argue what they need is more of a detective spy type. I was going to say an out-of-the-box creative thinker. More or less what I'm kind of... A Batman type. Yeah. So then the question becomes, where is a Batman type character that's not Batman franchise Yeah. um, that would fit the bill? Because really when I think brains, I'm thinking Stein and Ray, very scientific brains. Somebody who's more street smart, though. Well, and I mean, Jax has some of that. But that's why I'm thinking the the creative side of thinking versus the analytical side. That distinction making sense? It does. I'm trying to think who would be the right fit for that. Okay, I'm just making sure. Out of the box characters, I would be tempted. uh, Doc Magnus, creator of the Metal Men, would be one, but not really a fit for this. Even if you went with a young version, and he's too much in the uh, Ray Stein Mm. kind of yeah category. Um, I don't think they would fit in the show, but Elongated Man and his wife Sue, who are kind of the crime-solving duo, and he stretches a bit, would be interesting. But again, I don't think kind of the right fit for this. They would almost become the de facto mom and dad of the group, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to go through like other satellite-era Justice Leaguers or other ones that I think would fit. I'd have to give that some thought. I mean, you almost need someone who's doing kind of what Felicity is doing over on Arrow. In terms of? The stay in the office, the research, the the finding solutions. Essentially, the office manager slash team glue. Yeah. That, but she's, well, she does the science also, but she's not doing the build the suit type science. Well, the name that came to mind is unavailable because he's uh, currently editor-in-chief or whatever over at CatCo, and that's Snapper Carr, who was at one point kind of the sidekick of the JLA. Interesting. Um, Because in the comics, despite the fact he betrayed the team at one point, he was kind of the uh, keep the, I don't want to say keep the, the the, the headquarters going sort of a thing, but he would kind of fill that sort of a role as the team sidekick slash... A token normal person. Mm-hmm. Um, and conceptually, the same sort of role Felicity fills over an arrow. Um, yeah, I don't know. You, it, it, it's hard to think of somebody that... Legends of Tomorrow, to me, feels like a team that's set up to where whoever is left to man the fort and keep, stay on the ship feels like they're being punished. Mm-hmm. They don't have a character for whom it feels natural. To remain on the ship because this is their domain. And I include Gideon in that statement. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to give that some thought. I um, Well, there's tons and tons of DC Universe characters. Uh, once you start subtracting the ones they've already kind of used in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Or who aren't good choices because they're like Batman. Yeah. Uh, and even the Superman franchise, Two Degrees, is kind yeah. of taken with Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and going back to the you don't want characters who are redundant to an aspect, like I think really Stein and Ray are K 
competing and the same type of intelligence. And I think they've taken that down a notch. But Stein, Ray, and Jax, any one of them could, you know, well, let's go fix the armor, the, the wave rider, the whatever. Yeah. So where do you get somebody who's different than that? I mean, yeah. you don't need scientific smarts. Exactly. Which is why I was leaning towards creative smarts. Yeah. Yeah, nobody is like, ah, this is the one they need, um, is leaping to mind at the moment. And then the question is kind of which franchises would you even want to draw from um, that haven't been kind of tapped out? Because, well, we haven't gotten many Teen Titan characters per se. We've got Kid Flash over uh, various versions over in uh, Flash, uh, Red Arrow, Arsenal or whatever was a, a Titan and stuff like that. Supergirl was at a time. Uh, finding the right one to kind of fit in um, with the Legends would be a little tough. And they've already gone with one or two of the Outsiders with uh, Katana over in Arrow. Mm. There's talk of a Black Lightning TV show. Mm -hmm. That's pretty serious talk. And they've hinted at Metamorpho a time or two with Stag Industries over on Flash. But he's he would be too similar to uh, Steel. Mm. He's somebody who can change into any any element or whatever, whereas steel just changes into steel. Yeah. He'd make steel redundant. Yeah. Other than the history part. Well, and like I said, bringing a historian to me was just a thank God move because when you destroyed the stream of time information. Yeah. They they didn't have a, a resource to go on other than yeah. whatever. Well, Gideon still has her history banks. True, but their whole, we're going to make sure we keep history accurate, and yet she seems to kind of update as she lands. So his using actual physical, tangible books. I would say the books are as static as her memory banks. Okay. Yeah. I'm also just trying to think group dynamic. What do they need? Yes. They need something. Because Cold added a little bit of, of spice to the mix that's missing. Definitely. So... I would almost be added, tempted to add two people, one of which is the cabin fever, I've got to go go do things extreme, and the other's the other extreme of no, no, I'll stay in the ship. Yeah. Um, somebody who is that that tactical thinker, strategic thinker, but is the, uh, again, that, that thinker, not the doer. Mm. But again, I don't know how much of a need they really have for that in the show. Mm. And part of it depends what direction they want to go. Yeah. Uh, and do they keep all the characters they currently have? So it's there are a number of different ways they could go bringing in maybe and again can they bring in an Aquaman family character or is that because of the movies not a good idea yeah you know giving some thought as to what they could and couldn't do um and again bringing in maybe one of the members of the Legion of Superheroes could be fun um they tend to have fairly limited power sets so uh, special effects wise that might not be too bad and having somebody from just a completely futuristic time frame Mm -hmm. could be fun but um you know i thought they did a good job i thought they revitalized the show they tuned its second season where it needed to be mm -hmm. ditching vandal savage playing down rip's role um it all generally worked yeah uh, and i think improved a lot of the complaints i had about the first season of the show i just want to see them kind of ratchet it up uh, again for third season yeah it's just a little hard to think of exact uh this is what they have to do um kind of things yeah i'll agree with that um, I would almost think bringing um, Roy from Arrow into the show. Mm. You know, if you went back to the last time Roy left, 
and just kind of disappeared and picked him up there. Doesn't even need to pick him up from there. Just he's been out of play over there long enough. Well, I'm just saying that would explain why he disappeared and fell off the radar so successfully. Kind of dealt with it, but yeah, it comes down to would the actor want to do it or not? And do we need another guy with a bow and arrow floating about? Always. Yeah. It'd be nice to have somebody who didn't feel like it was a cast-off character from one of the other shows. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things this show suffers from is feeling like it's that collecting ground. Yes. The leftovers of DC is what I've heard a few people call it, which is not fair, in my opinion. No, not at all. Um, Because most of the characters they've got... Frankly, while they are B-list characters, have headlined their own series. Uh, Firestorm, Adam, Black Canary, um, Steel for a while, although not necessarily that version. Uh, Vixen was going to have a series in the 70s, but it died from the DC implosion before it came out. And may have had a mini-series or two, but I don't think has ever had an ongoing. Mm. Um, I would probably, if I were going to add somebody, go through the list of ongoings that have gone for one to five years and and pick somebody out of that mix and then it comes down to again what narrative need are you trying to fill and how best to do that yeah so i enjoyed the uh four-way crossover um supergirl got the short end of the script uh just because they hadn't quite factored in the the planning Uh, i think they're gonna bake that into next season good i also enjoyed the um the flash supergirl crossover they Mm -hmm. did but we'll talk about that in those shows Um. I'm just trying to think what else. Again, I want to see them explore more of the DC universe. Well, mo- maybe more some of the esoteric uh, areas. I mean, I guess after talking about it, I do kind of like that they explored what makes a hero, but I didn't like getting hit over the head with it and that it dragged on for episode after episode. There was a certain lack of subtlety. Yeah. But I thought, you know, that's a theme that was worth exploring and I'm glad they explored it. And I hope they stick to hitting some of those high-level themes. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that could be fun next season would be for them to, and I don't know exactly how I would make it work, but go to some of the the quieter corners of the DC Universe. Like, oh, this small town has just this this explosion of superheroes. Mm. What's going on there? Yeah. And have that be the Dial H for Hero stuff. Because uh, there are a couple of areas, uh, eras in DC where they had characters that had a device that could turn them into a hero for an hour. Hmm. A different hero each time. Yeah. And really, for you know, an hour long episode, you'd see maybe two, three of these kind of a deal, and it could be fun. Mm-hmm. And just start exploring, okay, there are powerful widgets or whatnot in the DC universe. There are some artifacts. There are some lesser known corners. Um, yeah. And just, just go explore that stuff. I just I don't know what the big arc is going to be for next season. Um, again, I felt the second season arc was infinitely better than the first season. I just want them to have something that propels the show forward, gives them a, a bit of a mission, while still having good kind of episodic episodes. Yeah. Anything else? Are we pretty much done on this? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.